Hello and happy feast day of St. Philomena. Today's live guest really needs no introduction. While His Excellency Bishop Williamson is the third prince of the church to grace this channel, he's certainly the first to be both twice rector of large traditional seminaries and twice excommunicated, or so says Delore online. His lordship has been no stranger to controversy, and today we're very lucky to be able to seek his wisdom on a number of important topics. Today's show will broadly be segmented into past, present, and future, and I'm going to go in that order. I don't intend to trudge up old fights or old controversies. If they come up, it's fine. But what I do hope we can do is break some new ground. Speaking of groundbreaking, last week, His Excellency joined Dr. E. Michael Jones for an interview, and it was a must-see. It was on a YouTube channel called Friends of Aquinas, a fast-growing traditionalist channel. And I'm going to use a few of those clips to help stimulate the conversation today as well. But I really encourage you to check out uh, Friends of Aquinas and watch the full two hours for the full context. And my thanks to FOA for uh, allowing me to use these clips. Your Excellency, thank you and welcome to uh, the program. Pleasure. Um, let's get right to it. In the past segment, I have a few topics that I'd like to ask you about. Um, firstly, um, I'm going to play a, a short clip, if I can find it, uh, from your interview with E. Michael Jones, in which you were discussing this letter. And Jones came to Wimbledon, and you told him about the letter, and uh, you told him that uh, that you that you wouldn't sign it. And, um, and, and uh, well, I don't have the video with me now. I'll, I'll upload it in a second. But essentially, more or less, what his, his contention was that if you had signed it, the papacy would have been saved. And you said, oh, no, you know, that's 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 exaggeration. And he said, no, I think you're being too modest. Your Excellency, I, yeah, I think you got cut off at that point and you didn't have the full opportunity to expound on that. Uh, so I'd like to give you the opportunity to do that here now. Well, it's like saying if I had signed the letter, ice would not melt in sunshine. There would have been a reconciliation of some kind. No, 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 no. Whether ice melts or not in sunshine doesn't depend upon me or my signature. I can't change things that are intrinsically irreconcilable. I can't make reconcilable simply by signing a letter. It doesn't depend upon me. Sure. Things are what they are independent of me. And things are what they are independent of anybody. Benedict XVI and, and Bishop Foley were supposedly on the brink of signing or making a reconciliation which would have reconciled everything and everybody. It wouldn't have done that. It would have seemed to do it on the spot, but give it a few, a few more months, another couple of years, and it would all reality would reimpose itself. Rea reality is independent of our, of our wishes, of our dreams, of our imaginings. Reality is what it is. And you're wise if you take into account what it is, and you're not very wise if you don't take account into account what it is. I think the Honourable Mr. Jones, my, uh, Michael Jones, who I, for whom I have a good deal of respect and affection, uh, surprisingly, <laughs> because he's dusted me off one or two times in my career. Yeah, I think we're uh, all aware of that. <laughs> But um, you know, he 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 thinks 
He's a historian. He's not um, a, dog, a dogmatist. He's not a doctrinalist. He's not a theologian mm. or, or a philosopher. Well, he's, he has some philosophy and has a good deal of culture. And I, I, I like a lot of the things that he says. Uh, but he, 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 ice melts in sunshine. That's what ice is. That's what sunshine is. And uh, modernism melts Catholicism or Catholicism melts modernism. But you can't reconcile the two. They're irreconcilable. Two and two plus four does not agree with two and two or five. Two yes. and two are four independent of what any, any, any human being says or thinks. So to put a finer point on it, uh, what it sounds like you're saying, Your Excellency, is that there really objectively is no possible normalization with Rome as she is today. It's Rome who must change, uh, period. Correct. Yep, no, that's correct. And it's not a question of arrogance to say that. It's the way things are. And Archbishop Lefebvre always recognized the way things are. And Rome is dreaming of, of making them different from what they are. Modernists dream of getting around reality. They dream of changing reality. I'm sorry. Reality doesn't change for the, for the wish and dream of human beings. Uh, second question. Um, you are the founder of what is called the SSPX Resistance. Um, it's clearly not designed to be, uh, well, maybe it is. It doesn't appear to me anyway to be designed to be SSPX 2.0, counter SSPX, global hierarchy, seminaries, publishing arm, and teaching capability. What is the SSPX resistance exactly? Is it, um, is well, it a I, I think of, it's, it's a movement. It's not a structure. I don't think it can be structured any longer. It's my opinion that, um, in a way, the time for structures is, is past. The, the church is not, the Catholic church is normally a structure. But uh, it depends upon the Pope. Uh, and if the Pope is not there, or if the Pope is as though he's not there, if the Pope is simply not functioning, which I think we can say for Pope Bergoglio, uh, if the Pope is not there, you can't operate the church without him. So you can't build... In, in the old days, you would go to a mission in the middle of the deepest middle of Africa, in the middle of deepest Africa. And if you had a, a Catholic mission, you would have had maybe two missionary priests in a hut. I don't know, but on the wall of the hut, you could have had a certificate signed by the Pope saying, I bless you in the little hut in the middle of deepest Africa. And that made a huge difference. It was, it was vital. The, the authority descending from the Pope is vital for the church to be structured. This, Jesus Christ built his church to be structured under Peter. And if Peter refuses because he's dreaming uh, to, to give us any structure, to approve of any structure, to bless any structure that is in line with tradition, then there's no, if you want to try to serve tradition, there's nothing you can do to get structure because the Pope is refusing it. What is your long-term hope for the movement um, over the next... Uh... 40 or 50 years, assuming that we remain 
in this crisis? Um, well, I'm sure that the crisis is not going to last another 40 to 50 years. I don't know how long it will last, but I'm sure it won't be that long. Within, let's say, much more likely 10 to 15 years, and maybe even less, the uh, Almighty God is going to punish all mankind. It's called a chastisement. And he's going to step in to put things right again, to set the clocks back uh, back in time, as the French say, um, to put the clocks back on time. Because at the moment, not only is the church dreaming, the whole of mankind is dreaming of kicking God out of his own creation. That's the dream. Mm. And Almighty God is not kicked out of his creation. Almighty God is Almighty God, and he did not create creation. He did not create mankind in order to kick him in the teeth. God created mankind to populate his heaven. And it's Almighty God who is in charge, and he is allowing mankind to let its dream run at this moment, because it's the only way that mankind is going to learn its lesson. And when the chaos is is reached a certain point, it's it's already extremely chaotic out in the world and in the church. But when the chaos reaches a certain point, before the whole world explodes and blows itself off its hinges, which mankind is the devil is perfectly capable of doing, if he's allowed to do so by God. But before that happens, Almighty God is going to intervene. And um, in the words of Our Lady of Akita in Japan in 1973, if if men don't mend their ways, the Father is going to intervene with a huge chastisement such as has never been seen in all the history of mankind. Mm -hmm. Fire will fall from the sky, sparing neither the good nor the evil, sparing neither priests nor laity, uh, and the survivors will be so desolate that they will envy the dead. Uh, at that time, uh, you will have two weapons, the rosary and the sign that will be left by my son. That's not yet clear. I think it ties in with the sign that we're promised in, in Garibando. Pray the rosary, and this is crucial. Pray the rosary, for the Pope, for the bishops, and for the priests, is what she said. Mm. And uh, that's what's happening. I think a number of people are praying the rosary. God bless the TFP for for everything it's it's trying to do in the United States to get people to pray the rosary. I think they're absolutely on track. The rosary is what's needed. And um, the resistance, the so-called resistance, which without its structure, with all its little numbers, with all its poverty of means, is in my hopes, but it doesn't depend upon me. It does not depend upon me. Uh, it, it's, it's a number of priests moving in the same direction, which the used to be the direction of Archbishop Lefebvre, but which, a direction which was abandoned by the leaders of the society um, in the early 2000s, about 10 years ago, when they decided that they officially wanted to change the policy of no agreement without, no practical agreement without, with Rome, with the Romans, without a doctrinal agreement. And those, the, the policy used to be doctrine first, 
and then the, the, the which means respect reality first mm -hmm. and respect the authorities second reality comes in front of the authorities and if the authorities are abandoning real, reality you're in trouble and you're going to go on being in trouble until men get back down on their knees beg god to intervene as so that it will be worth his while intervening and then he will intervene and straighten things out and that's my great hope for let's say 10 to 15 years at latest from now i would guess but almighty god has a very long fuse he's very merciful and he waits he takes his time he takes his time he takes his time wheels of god grind slowly says the old saying but they grind exceeding small in other words almighty god misses not a trick but he takes his time and it depends this situation depends entirely on him not on human beings except that human beings are going to force it to go human beings will force the chaos to go as long as they can make it go that's the perversity of human beings especially in the church Pray the rosary for the Pope, for the bishops, and for priests. That's it. Mm. That's where the real problem is. Inside the church, inside the clergy. Speaking of Archbishop uh, Lefebvre, it's, it's said, and I don't know if it's true today, you can confirm that or, or clarify it, that Your Excellency was very much on his side of endorsing the 1962 Missal uh, it seems looking back, this was more of a fight between uh, the recognize and resist philosophy and the Sedificantis uh, point of view. Uh, number one, do you think that that's? Do you think that all of that is true? And what do you think his excellency, his excellency, would have done today, uh, looking back with um, you know the the resurgence of a return to the pre nineteen fifty five form? Oh my, you, you, it's not one question, it's a kind of packet of questions. <laughs> but uh, firstly, I don't think, I don't, the question of liturgy doesn't have anything to do directly with the state of Atlantism. It's What is true is that many of those who believe that the sea is vacant, state of Atlantists, take, taking a strong line on the papacy, such as these popes are not genuine popes, also take a strong line on the liturgy. In other words, to go back to 1962 is not enough. You need to go back before 1955. But there's no direct connection between Sedevacantism and the question of the liturgy. Uh, it, just, it happens that many taking an extreme line in the one also take an extreme line in the other. Uh, that's part of an answer to your, to your composite question. What else was there in the question? I've forgotten already. Yes, well, the first part was, is it true that uh, you were a strong supporter at the time of the 62? And then uh, does, do, you, do you retain that position today? Uh, that's fair enough as a question. Um, the, the, Arch, the reason why Archbishop Lefebvre settled on 1962 is that there were reforms in 62, 64, 67 and finally 69. Uh, the Archbishop himself went along with the reforms on the grounds that the Pope is the master of the liturgy in the Latin rite of the universal church. In other words, it depends upon the Pope. And, and the Pope 
apparently wanted all of those reforms, 62, 64, 67, 69, when, in the, when the archbishop himself uh, prayed the liturgy of 67, he realized that his faith was being diminished. Mm. He realized that the omitting uh, all of these signs of the cross in the Mass, for instance, it was just one little instance, and praying the various changes that were already pretty far gone in 67, he said that he himself came back to 64. He founded the seminary in 70. Uh, the, the seminary of began in 1970, and he began it on his personal experience with 64. The seminarians, a few years later, a few years into the 70s, the seminarians... Uh, <laughs> Made, made it clear. One of them hid some of these lecterns. I remember his name. I, I won't dare quote it. Uh, but he, he came from a long way away from Europe. Let's just say that. Uh, he hid one of the lecterns on which the, the 67, the 64 um, lessons used to be read. He hid one of them. Now, the archbishop didn't usually give way to rebels. He was not a rebel himself. Uh, believe it or not, he was not a rebel. Not by any, any stretch of the imagination. He was obedient absolutely to what he thought was the will of God through coming through the church. But coming through the church in the 60s was not all what coming from God. Therefore, he himself uh, settled on 64, and the seminarians made him understand, <laughs> gave him to understand that they thought 64 was too far, too far. And he must have thought, well, this is the Holy Ghost speaking through my ragamuffin seminarians. So he came back to 62, and that's where he settled. But his, his principle was, if 62 is not essentially against the faith or is not diminishing the faith, then that's the latest that had the, the approval from Rome. Therefore, if I combine what I myself realize is against the faith, that's unacceptable, with what the Pope has approved, and that's at least at the latest 1962, then combining those two principles, 62 is where I settle. And he settled on 62. Um, but notice that for the Holy Week, he himself never abandoned the knocking on the door of Palm Sunday, which I think was, not, was, was eliminated by Bonini in 55. So, and there was something else, I forget, the, the second confession, the archbishop never eliminated, the confession just before the communion. And so um, even he was not completely loyal to 62. But in any case, what he was doing was balancing two principles, which the Romans were making clash with one another. By departing from tradition, the Romans were setting, setting up authority to go one way and truth to go a different way. And that's essentially what happened in 1962, uh, in the 1969, in the revolution in the church. Catholic authority split from Catholic truth. And ever since, all Catholics are more or less schizophrenic because if truth and authority are separated from one another, then either I follow authority and let forget truth, or I forget truth and follow authority, or somewhere in between. So I might mix it 10 to 90, I might mix it 20 to 80, I might mix it 30 to 70, or 70 to 30, etc., etc., etc. So all Catholics or, or all, all Catholics who, who want to be Catholic 
are somewhere between zero and a hundred, uh, and they're all there's a great variety and a great confusion in the Catholic Church because of that. And all of that will only be settled, but it will be settled when Almighty God, nobody else can do it, will bring these erring humans, these, uh, these erring human beings of Rome back to tradition. And when authority and truth reunite, that's when the crisis is over. And so just to clarify, Your Excellency, it does sound like you are open to and would be supportive of uh, prelates who insist upon the pre-55 form uh, if they have arrived at the conclusion that the dichotomy between truth and authority uh, compels them to be in that in that camp? I think that would be fair, yes. I think that would be fair. Uh, for instance, I would implicitly trust a prelate like Archbishop Vigano. If Archbishop Vigano said, um, I'm going to, from now on, in everything that comes under my control, I'm going to insist upon the liturgy before 1955, I would have a complete respect for that in his case. Because I, I know that he is somebody who has, who puts truth first and who speaks the truth and tells the truth and only wants to live by the truth. Your Excellency, speaking of Archbishop Vigano, what would you say to the Catholic who looks at his life, 52 years in active ministry, most of which in service of the Secretariat of State uh, yes. for the Vatican? Yes. Um, only a minority of his, of his life, you know, maybe a fifth of his active priesthood spent in the United States. Um, Novus Ordo for the entire time. And then suddenly, once he retires, he, you know, kind of finds religion and develops this loyalty to American politics, to Trump, to the GOP, to Steve Bannon. I, you know, there are a lot of traditionalists who, who kind of look at it and say, well, you know, I, we kind of wish that you had said these things when you were at the height of your power rather than, you know, from from uh, supposedly a hiding place. I mean, people are skeptical of him. Again, that's a, a whole composite question. But um, what is at the heart of it? Uh, hey, what do you think the Christians said about Saul when he became Paul, when, when he was our divine Lord knocked him off his horse and converted him miraculously? Uh, but it's clear that Paul was already, uh, or Saul was already um, kicking against the pricks. He, in other words, he, his conscience was, was telling him there's something wrong. There's, there's, while the conversion is tremendous, it's never, there's, there's nevertheless a certain continuity between, between Saul and Paul. Saul had been kicking against the pricks. And then Almighty God converted him. Uh, Archbishop Vigano had been, um, must have been wondering some for many years about what was going on in the church. At least I guess that's, that was the case. Mm -hmm. And then what he ran into, the, the concrete situation he ran into in the corrupt American hierarchy of what was it, the ninth of the 2020s, no, 20, 20 teens, uh, that finally shook him too hard 
and he understood that he'd been deceived uh, by Vatican II. And he very humbly admitted it. I was had, he says. I, I W-U-Z, I was had, H-A-D. That's what he said. He's got every right to say that. Everybody who's wrong has got the right to say, I've been wrong. Usually there will have been some, before they rec recognize it, there will have been some kind of change or some readiness to change. And a whole lot of Catholics today, uh, decent Catholics, are ready for change, ready to, mm. but it's not yet clear enough to them, or they haven't got the courage, whatever it is. Archbishop Vigano had a huge courage to do what he did, and and it, he, he ran into immediately such opposition that he feared for his life. It was the most reasonable thing to do, to hide. He's not now hiding so much. Because, um, because, say, people, he knows all of the skeletons in all of the cupboards, which is quite possible. And for that reason, they're not assassinating him. <laughs> but, but for a while, um, it, was, it seemed very possible. In the immediate aftermath of his declaration against what was going on in America, in the church in America, immediately after his declaration, he aroused such enmity that he was in real, he, he guessed he was in real danger. And I think that's common sense. You may remember, if you know American history well, or the church, you may remember that Whitaker Chambers went into hiding for about six months after he uh, quit the Communist Party. And it was only after six months that he, f he felt safe to come out because the communists no, were no longer afraid of his spilling all the beans that he knew because um, for six months he hadn't done it. For six months he lay low and was very discreet. And so the, the communists said he's not going to blurt it all out. He's not going to betray us in that sense. Uh, in, that, in, in other senses, he may renounce communism, renounce it completely. But to renounce it, to renounce it in principle and to uncover all the skeletons is, is two different things. Clearly, Archbishop Vigano is not uh, uncovering skeletons. He's fighting on the basis of principles, which is what he should be doing. And God bless him for his courage. Mm. And uh, thank God for his conversion, because he's now a lighthouse of truth I do, in, in the darkness. I don't see how traditional Catholics can really complain. I can, I can understand they're a bit fussed to begin with, but I don't think you'll find there are so many of them fussed now. As were as may have been fussed when he first uh, when he first changed changed direction. Have you had any direct contact with him? And secondly, uh, do you suppose that eventually he'll find his way into either the SSPX or the resistance or or some other um, you know irregular status as 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 he continues to delve into truth, objective truth? Yes, uh, I have. I've met him personally. Uh, at my invitation, I asked I asked to meet him, and he he arranged for me to meet him in Italy, which I did. He was very pleasant, very very agreeable. Um, spoke a good deal about what was going on in about the Romans and his experiences in Rome. Um, I think he's a very good man, and he's seen the light. And in French, you've got an expression: "un um, converti vaut." Deux apôtres, a convert is worth two apostles, and that's certainly his case. He's been a tremendous apostle of the truth.
since he came out, so to speak, since he, since he, well, you might can, you can say it came out. Sure. Came out against what was going on in the United States and then understood, he's understood that, that the real problem is Vatican II. He is a real churchman. As you say, he's been so many tens of years in the Secretary of State. At one point, he was at number, number 11 in the Vatican. He was right up at the top. And he served the church very well. And he's very, he's very intelligent. He's got a very good pen. He writes easily and elegantly and uh, nails the questions. You see the things he says about the, um, the, 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 the chaos in the world. Uh, he's very well informed because he has come out strongly against the New World Order, against the COVID criminals. There's no other word for them. The COVID criminals. Yes. Um, they're utter criminals. And he says they're criminals. He's right. Who else? Who else is saying that? Yeah. What other bishops in the church are saying that? That's a good question. Fair point. How can the traditionalists complain of him? When they've got all of these, all of these bishops who are not properly serving the faith, keeping silent or maneuvering to stay in with the world authorities, accepting the vaccine, accepting the crimes, not breathing a word about the crimes. You've got all of these bishops who are not serving their function of looking after the sheep. Here he is looking after the sheep, and I complain because he's looking after the sheep. Oh, come on. Come on, say I. That's that's my attitude. Okay. <laughs> so, what do you really think, Your Excellency? <laughs> um, speak. I, we. I want to get into COVID, and and that's probably the, the the next logical thing to do. But I I have to ask. Uh, we're moving into sort of like present tense now. Please. And um, probably the most important thing that has happened this year um, is this alleged consecration of Russia, or perhaps you can call it the co-consecration of Ukraine. This past March. Very awkward, uh, but was it sufficient by Pope Francis, or uh, was no. it rendered invalid either due to its its muddled form or no, no, lacking no, sufficient no, no, no. authority? Do you think it, our Lady it, is satiated? It, it's Masonic in language and in thought. Liberty, equality, fraternity. You find those throughout that that declaration, and it seems to have been designed by Pope Bergoglio to get the monkeys off his back. That is, say, people mm -hmm. who have been harassing the Pope to make that consecration for the last 10, 20, 30 years. And it must bug the Popes. The, the modernist Popes must be bugged by it because they don't want to do it. They don't see the need for it. They don't believe in it. They don't, um, their minds and hearts are just not functioning on the wavelength of the, of the consecration of Russia. They don't see why it's important. They don't see why they should do it. They don't see how it will help. It just doesn't make sense to them. I'm quite sure that the consecration makes no sense to Pope Bergoglio. So he did the best imitation of which he was capable, <laughs> simply to be able to say to people, look, get off my back. I've done the consecration. Look, here it is. It was on TV. You were able to see it. It's been on the Internet. Come on now. I've done the consecration. Get off my back. I think that's what the purpose of it was. It's a lightweight declaration. It's, it's nothing like a solemn as Our Lady wanted. Our Lady wanted it, obviously, as a genuine expression on part of the world's bishops, together with the Pope, led by the Pope, but, but by the world's bishops, 
that they want to go God's way in resolving this crisis and no longer in man's way. Man's way has failed exceptionally. The crisis simply gets worse and worse and worse. The church is now threatened with synodality and the complete dissolution of the structure of the church. Uh, it's, it's just incredible how perverse human beings are, especially the churchmen. It's not the church's fault. It's the churchman's fault. The churchmen have been got at by centuries of liberalism and centuries of modern rot. And it finally broke through in Vatican II. Since Vatican II, the problem has been absolutely unsolvable until, like Archbishop Vigano, they recognize that Vatican II is the problem and they renounce it. Until that happens, uh, and when, it, when that happens, it will happen. When that happens, maybe because we're on the very, very brink of a huge war, or I don't know what it is that's going to persuade the Europeans to obey God instead of obeying man. But uh, when it happens, it, you're going to see it's a very different and very serious affair. It's not just a lightweight, get off my back, boys, hmm. affair. I think this ties into your description of the coming chastisement, which you referenced earlier. Here's a clip of you describing it in more detail last week. And um, I'll follow up after this short clip with the question sure. about whether or not this is unavoidable, given the false consecration. Almighty God is going to intervene. And he's going to intervene with an absolutely unprecedented chastisement, much worse than the water flood of Noah, a fire flood which will, uh, Our Lady says, eliminate a large part of mankind, the good with the bad, the priests with the laity, and the survivors will be so desolate that they will envy the dead. I think that's what's in the future. And I think it's out of nothing less than something like that that the church, the true church, can once again flourish. And I think that's when the true church will flourish. But between now and then, the situation is too is too rotten. It's too far rotten. It's too the re, the, the the rot runs deep. It's coming soon to a, a country near you, huh? Yes, absolutely. And uh, final question, just kind of on the consecration and on the chastisement in ter in terms of linking those things together. You've mentioned praying, um, you know, all three sets of mysteries, 15 decades of the Holy Rosary every day. What else practically can people do in preparation for this chastisement? It sounds like it's going to be pretty bad. Well, obey the Ten Commandments would be a very good start. Together with 50 mysteries a day, keep, observe the Ten Commandments. That's what God wants. He wants souls in heaven. He basically wants souls to enjoy his company, his vision, his bliss in his heaven. And to, to do that, we need to play things his way. It's his way or the highway. And in his case, that's absolutely true. And it's absolutely justified because the reward, the happiness of, of his heaven is unimaginable. And yeah. that's what he wants to give us. And when we, he can't give it to us if we die breaking one, two, three, or five of his Ten Commandments. Yeah. Um, new topic, and the topic is actually um, weaponized ambiguity. Vatican II was in many ways the culmination of a long-wage war uh, on reality up to that point. It's many infiltrators um, who are declared enemies of God, 
subverted the council and produced this wishy-washy kind of flim-flam ambiguity. Here you are describing Vatican II and its ambiguity, and uh, much to Dr. Jones's uh, dismay, actually, here it is. The, the Vatican II, the, 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 the intrinsic truth, the objective truth about the do these documents of Vatican II is that they are ambiguous. They can be interpreted in line with tradition. They can be interpreted, but they can equally be interpreted out of line with Catholic tradition. So the truth is that these documents are ambiguous. And another truth is that the Catholic Church does not talk ambiguously. Your Excellency, you have said you've made common use of the term, you know, the true church, which you spoke of uh, with respect to the chastisement and the true church emerging uh, thereafter. Clearly, uh, a lot of people say that term and many don't mean the same thing. What does Your Excellency mean specifically when you say the true church? The church, uh, in line with its all, all the centuries of its existence, of its beliefs, of its actions, up to, up to the revolution of Vatican II. Vatican II was an unprecedented revolution in church affairs. Never had there been in all church history. There had been betrayals. There had been mass, mass abandons, abandons, uh, abandonments. Um, but never had there been, never did the churchmen as a block, en bloc, so lose grip of the truth as a Vatican II. Never. It's a crisis that it, it, it's a, a crisis that built up over centuries and centuries, at least at the at the latest from the end of the Middle Ages. We might date it from thirteen o four or thirteen o eight, when Philippe le Bel uh, assaulted Benedict XVI down in Italy, and kind of declared the independence of kings from the Church. Of, him, of, his, of himself, at least, from the, from the church. And then the other kings followed. The faith was beginning to drop after the Middle Ages. And as the faith dropped, so the church lost its, lost its power and lost its way. And finally, in the 20th century, in the poor and wretched 20th century, the, the loss of faith was such that it infiltrated, soaked into the church, and the churchmen decided that the time had come to go to go with the flow and to stop trying to resist the flow, which they had done, which the church had done, all the way up until the death of Pius XII in 1958. The crisis of Vatican II was unprecedented. It can be difficult, I think, for for common Catholics who are not deliberately trained in theology, for myself, for example, to try to reconcile the indefectibility of the church, which is a defeated dogma, uh, with, with this abdication that you're describing. Um, Jorge Bergoglio has said um, just a couple months ago that the problem with Vatican II is precisely this. In some contexts, the council has not yet been accepted. It is also true that it takes a century for a council to take root. Therefore, we still have forty more years to take it, make it take root. Um, how do we how do we reconcile all of this? Look, another forty new, another forty years is not going to make the ice not melt in the sunshine. The, the, the what this poor pope 
doesn't grasp. He's completely, he's lost more or less completely his grip on absolute truth, independent of all human minds, independent of all human wills. There, isn't, there are absolutes out there which come from God, which men can't change and which they're trying to change. And they've been trying to change for centuries. And at last, it seems to them they've succeeded, which is why Pope Bergoglio still trusts that, that in another 40 years, human wills of all the churchmen are going to make the ice melt in the sunshine. It's not going to melt. Mm -hmm. What is irreconcilable in theory is going to remain irreconcilable in practice. Relatedly to that, uh, Catholics have become confused, I think, um, about, you know, these terms that get thrown around, lyseity, validity. As you've recently said, you know, the church has in some times in the past suffered two popes seeking to govern one religion. Now it seems like we have one pope governing two religions. Yes. Um, my, my audience and people watching this includes priests and lay people from diocesan parishes, from former Ecclesia Dei communities, from yes. the SFPX, the resistance, and frankly, uh, more than a few Sedivicontists. Yep. You seem to be able to speak directly to all of them, Your Excellency, because you know, you're open to Catholics of goodwill earnestly trying to sort out the confusion what is the what is the strategy for how we can unite going forward, carry on the torch of tradition, very work simple. with each other? Very simple. Let everybody uh, reunite in the truth. If you if you don't unite in the truth, you're going to unite in lies. If you unite in lies, the unity is not going to last. That was the strength of the Catholic Church, and still is the strength of the Church, despite Vatican II. And it's that truth which is going to be the undoing of Vatican II. So what, do, what should Catholics do? Pursue the truth. And in order to pursue the truth, that truth about ice and sunshine, for instance, what is irreconcilable between Vatican II and the past of the church and trad Catholic tradition? They will find out if they pray to the mother of God, mm -hmm. the rosary. Don't ask me why I don't, I'm, I keep saying, I think, I don't know why the rosary is such a powerful means of, of clearing one's mind and bringing back the truth. I don't know why, except that it does go through Our Lady. I'm sure that has something to do with it, a lot to do with it. And it's her favorite prayer. And it's simple, it's humble. That's, that's a key point. It's humble. Therefore, it undercuts, the rosary undercuts the pride, which is what takes men away from God and away from ice and sunshine. I'm so proud that I think I can change the nature of ice or I can change the nature of sunshine or I can change both. Man cannot change either. Ice will always melt in sunshine. And the Catholic Church will always melt when the Catholic Churchmen believe in godless ideas in godless modern ideas. You cannot mix godliness and godlessness. The two don't mix. One is going to drive out the other. You can't serve God and mammon. Either you'll serve the one, says our Lord, and you know the quote from the Sermon on the Mount. Yes, that's right. Either you'll serve the one and forget the other, or you'll look after the other and you'll deserve the one. You can't serve both. Mammon is opposed to God and God is opposed to mammon. 
I think the clearest example of the Novus Ordo Church serving uh, mammon is the failures in COVID. It is now permissible to utter the phrase lab leak on YouTube, but it is not permissible to question the efficacy of any of the experimental serums that were funded by Trump and mandated by Biden, Johnson, Merkel, and the rest. I have a quote here from one of the top prelates in the United States, supposedly the pro-life czar, Archbishop Joseph Nauman, chairman of the USCCB Committee on Pro-Life Activities, where he says receiving the COVID-19 vaccine ought to be understood as an act of charity towards the other members of Nonsense. our community. Nonsense. Uh, with all respect to the Honorable Churchman, um, again, it's to say that uh, what again? What exactly did he say? That it's that a, it's an act of charity to the community. An act of charity is nonsense. Yeah. It's an act of betrayal because you're encouraging the rest of humanity to go along with the COVID nonsense, to get itself inoculated with poisonous. It's not vaccine, it's poison. And that's clear. And the statistics are piling up all the time of serious injuries and deaths from this wretched, poisonous, satanic vaccine. It's satanic. And, and, uh, a, German, a German civil lawyer a very honourable man, uh, probably not Catholic. Otherwise, we'd, we'd have known by now if he was, but he's, he's probably not Catholic. What's his name? Uh, Rainer Fulmich. Rainer Fulmich is a, a German lawyer, a high quality, high, highly qualified and capable German lawyer who set up a team of experts to investigate the whole COVID thing from fairly early on. And he's been advised by some of the best doctors that there are Honest, honest doctors, not doctors bought and sold, like so many of the poor men. Um, and he says the COVID thing is the greatest single crime committed against all men in the history of mankind. That's yeah. it. it. It's a gigantic crime and it's sterilizing the women. And and what's more, Your Excellency, I, I know that this is probably true around the world, but in the United States... The USCCB took more than $3 billion of bailout money from our government in exchange for complying with the illegal and irrational lockdowns. And even to this day, more than two years later, uh, many in the in the American church, it's a church apartheid. Uh, it's, it's, it's one church for the pseudoscience naturalists and another church for the unclean, the unwashed barbarians. Um, I think that the main problem for faithful Catholics is that they're you know, there doesn't seem to be very many, as you said, um, I'll describe them as non-Hegelian bishops in the world. There, there's, there's practically no one out there who is speaking with clarity and teaching with charity, as, as you uh, have clearly done, and a very small handful of others. Well, whatever's good comes from God and the rest comes from us. So where, where you find goodness and truth, you can be sure Almighty God is, is responsible. We poor human beings, are, as our Lord says, when we've done all we can, we're still useless servants. <laughs> if our Lord says that, it's true. And it's in the gospel. Okay, so forget about the human instruments. But go for what comes from Almighty God. That's what Catholics need to do. They need to go back to the, the old Baltimore Catechism. Let them go back to their libraries, find the old catechisms. Forget about the new catechisms. 
modern Catholics don't know the faith. They simply don't know the faith. So what's needed is Catholics who know the faith who, who, and who believe in the faith and are not guided by their false shepherds to disbelieve in the faith or to want to change the faith. That's what's needed. And Archbishop Lefebvre did, of course, a superb job of maintaining that faith. If he hadn't been there, where would we be today? I mean, the, 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 the trad cats who complain of Archbishop Vigano, he's saying and doing the same things as Archbishop Lefebvre. Mm -hmm. So, you know. Your Excellency, um, I, I don't intend to throw any stones at the SSPX. I, I love the SSPX and, and much of the work that they've done. But yes. I do have to point out that with respect to, you know, the COVID religion, even the SSPX seemingly endorsed and then unendorsed and then re-endorsed the experimental gene therapies. You, on the other hand, held out, held firm from the beginning. What did you see all along that others didn't see? Oh, my goodness me. Um, I'm not so sure because um, I don't think... <clears throat> I was specially clear-sighted about it. Uh, I honestly don't know. Um, but I, what I do know is that the world is ruled today by the enemies of God. That I do know. So when the enemy, and I knew now that the media, the vile media are all in the hands, are virtually all in the hands of the enemies of God. That I do know. So when the whole vile media come out in favor of COVID, uh, yeah, and yeah. when the bishops come out in favor of COVID and when the politicians are all in favor of COVID, <laughs> it's easy enough to smell a rat. And then right, you right. wait a little and the experts and the honest men begin, the honest experts, because there are plenty of dishonest experts, experts in inverted commas, but traitors to the truth, bought and sold, like the doc many doctors, for instance, it's been cleverly done. It's been done over tens and tens of years, but the medical profession is has lost its independence and it has to answer to mammon. The doctors have been given a cushy life and a, a nice salary in exchange for losing, for giving away their independence. Yeah. And uh, unlike uh, that very honorable Jewish doctor in New York, what was his name? A name like Zelensky. I forget his name. In any case, um, he was a Jew, and he, he from early on in COVID, he came up with a remedy which actually worked. Because, of course, COVID doesn't depart from all previous experience of medicine. Right. But, um, uh, and there are remedies. And these criminals, these utter criminals who control the medical profession made the mass of doctors say, you must not use, it's forbidden to use um, ivermectin or hydrochloro, hydro, hydro, hydrochloroquine. Uh, chloroquine, yeah. hydroxychloroquine, whatever it is. Whatever yeah. it is. I mean, these are known remedies. There's that French, there's the, the French doctor, the Dr. Raoul or something. Uh, he was good. He was from the beginning. So, you know, what I knew or what I know was that the world is corrupt and the whole world was behind COVID. That's enough. That's enough to smell a rat. 
And then you get these honest doctors who come out and an honest lawyer like Rainer Fulmich, and uh, you get them saying, this is nonsense, and they give you medical reasons why it's nonsense. And then sure enough, the statistics pile up. It's nonsense. And not only nonsense, it's criminal nonsense. It it would appear, Your Excellency, if you were to apply the same discernment, in other words, if, if all world governments and all media and all politicians and and all cultural elites were lining up behind, for example, Zelensky in, in the war in Ukraine, that a traditional Catholic m- might do well to pause and rather than getting on board with that, just... You better believe it. Spend a little time. That's another example. That's another clear example. Yep. And that's true. All the vile media are for Zelensky. And you're not allowed to uh, d- depart from the party line. There's a party line being imposed by some extremely powerful, coordinated uh, people who know exactly what they're doing to kick God out of his creation, to mm-hmm. kick God in the teeth, to kick him out of his creation, and to dissolve the Catholic Church. And they are at work. They're at work very hard, day by day, week by week. They are determined. They are clever. They are resolute. They have all kinds of power because they've been building it up over a long time by the weakness of the Catholics. Yes. It's when Catholics are no longer Catholic, when they're no longer, when they've no longer got the faith that they begin going in for all of these false substitutes for the true religion. But if the Catholics had a grip on their truth, on their all on their God, on their divine savior, on his mother on the value of the rosary, if they had a grip on the old-fashioned Catholic religion, they wouldn't be falling for this nonsense. They wouldn't swallow what the vile media served them up every day about about the Ukraine war and and about the COVID and about a number of things. Yeah. Um, Let's move to a new topic, Your Excellency. Recent events in Chicago, in the United States, Cardinal Supich's suppression of the Institute of Christ the King there. Yes. I see that as a bellwether event. Um, I have to hat tip to Taylor Marshall for uh, for branding the what, what what he calls corral theory. You and Dr. Jones discussed this last week. Here you are. This traditionus custodis, I think, was calculated to drive Catholics into the SSPX. I think that was the the, the classic that that was the intention behind Father Reese. He was the guy who came up with the idea. It's in America magazine. Some people think do think that uh, Pope Francis is wanting to drive all the hens into one coop so that the foxes can then close in on all the remaining hens inside the trapped inside the one coop. That he was he would if he lived long enough smash the SSPX, the, the new SSPX, the new SSPX, containing all remaining Catholics. Uh, you said some people believe that. My, my question is, do you believe that that's what he's doing? I honestly don't know. But if one, it makes sense. Because uh, Pope Bergoglio cannot possibly love the true SSPX. Because the SSPX has also been changed. It's also being subverted. It's also being forced off or misled off its, its direction so that what you have, just as Vatican II created a new church to replace the true church, so uh, the society leaders 
created a new society to replace the true society of Archbishop Lefebvre mm -hmm. in around 2012. That's when the official change of policy took, when the change of policy was made official inside the society. It's very sad, but it's very typical of our world. Our world corrupts anything that it can get hold of. And I, I personally think that the leadership of the Society of Bicententh was naive, and I think it does not know the evil going on in the world. I, they Do don't really believe in evil. Do you think that that same level of naivete could potentially apply to the leadership of the Institute of Christ the King as they're doing battle with uh, with Cardinal Supic? Or do you think it's more fair that that commentators, you know, refrain from casting stones, give the Institute, you know, some some room to maneuver, some room to negotiate? But then at what point do we just sort of say, OK, we've given you your 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 time. It looks like you've been duped. You've been had. Uh, yeah. You know, it, it's time for us to step in and supply the backbones that that are needed. I mean, it, it's a very complicated story here, and I know you're seeing it in other places in the world as well. I don't know uh, anybody in. Well, I may I may know some of the priests in the Institute of Christ the King, priests that I knew in the society, but basically, I don't know their leaders. I don't know who they are. I and I'm not up to date with the details of the problem, but it's the basically the same problem. And the only solution, the true solution, is that authority exists to serve truth. Truth must come before authority. When authority abandons the truth, it is no, it, it, it has gutted itself. Because authority exists to defend the truth. In the case of the Catholic Church, authority only exists to defend the truth. Our Lord says to Peter, Satan has prayed to have you, to get you. But, uh, or Satan wants to get you, but I have prayed for you. And so when you come back, when you convert, when you realize where the truth is, then you look after your brethren. Meaning, the truth, you've got to get hold of the truth yourself, dear Peter. And once you've got hold of the truth, then you look after with the authority, with the authority I give you, you then confirm your brethren. That's a clear case of the necessity of truth before authority, truth to fill authority, truth to create authority. If Archbishop Lefebvre built up such authority as he did uh, in a crazy world and in a sick church, he built up a huge authority amongst traditionalists. They followed him because he was a source of truth. His truth created his authority. I am not saying that authority in the church depends upon truth. But in a, in a sense, it does. It depends also, of course, on a lawfully elected pope, a lawful pope, and lawful uh, ministers of the pope around the pope in Rome. They are the, so the true source of authority in our Lord's church. Exactly as our Lord said, Peter, on this rock I will build my church. And it, Peter's authority comes from our Lord, but it's authority to serve the truth. It's not authority to serve lies. And therefore, when the churchmen go in for lies, the fantasies of the godless churchmen for the last several hundred years, uh, when they go in, when authority abandons the truth, it guts itself, it tears itself to pieces. It, it, no, it no longer has authority. These bishops all over, all over the United States, for instance, they dress with purple buttons, they speak sweetly, they, they look as though they have the authority. They still live in the chanceries, 
but they've lost their authority because they've lost the truth. As Americans say, no doctrine, no dollars. <laughs> and the poor bishops are, are becoming as poor as beggars because they're not putting, giving out the people the doctrine which will get them to heaven. That's right. Uh, maybe maybe and they're, they're 20. people, And they want what will get them to heaven. They quite rightly realize that they're meant to go to heaven, that they're going to need help from the priests. They absolutely need the sacraments. They're going to need the grace of God from the, through the sacraments from priests. And therefore they look, the wise ones look for priests holding to the truth because these are the ones that deserve authority. And they give authority to these, like Bishop Schneider or um, Bishop Burke to some extent, to a considerable extent, and so on. Bishop Archbishop Vigano, these are the ones that have authority today because they're associated with the truth. Yeah. And maybe maybe we should update that that phrase, no no dogma, no dollars to uh go woke, go broke. Exactly. Exactly. It's the same principle. Mm -hmm. Woke is nonsense, utter nonsense, stupidity, criminality. Um, so, you you mentioned because the people have enough common sense finally to realize that woke is nonsense. But it takes time for the people to realize sometimes. So, you know. Hopefully we wake up from it. Your Excellency, you mentioned Bishop Schneider, and uh, and I'm glad you brought him up because uh, he was recently on the program and we talked about a number of things. Yes. First of all, he believes that Archbishop Lefebvre is, lived a saintly life. He wrote that in his most recent book, and he confirmed yeah. on this show that he believes he's in heaven. But I think one of the mo more interesting things that, that he said that I'd like to get your reaction to is his commentary on these papal canonizations, this litany of papal canonizations. Here, you can mm -hmm. watch this. On page 272, you say, I think we also have a right to discuss the canonizations that have already taken place and whether, in fact, we were given the right model. We can have legitimate doubts about them, and we have the right to express these doubts. In my opinion, Paul VI shouldn't, shouldn't have been elevated, should not have been elevated to the altars and declared a saint. For in this way, he was shown to be a role model, and therefore his revolutionary reform of the right of the Holy Mass would also enjoy an endorsement. Your Excellency, it looks like we're on track to canonize every single Vatican II Pope. Is that also a continuation of the endorsement of this Second Vatican Council? Yes, this is evident. Uh, it is too evident that these canonizations are a kind of canonization more of the council rather than of the popes. Yes, I agree completely. Uh, the, the, the church, the new church, disgraces falsifies everything it can lay its hands on. It wants to modernize, update, revolutionize the whole church. And that includes the process of canonization. And therefore, these canonizations are false. And it, it's not... In, in the old church, a canonization will have been infallible because there were very strict measures to... to uh, judge by which to judge whether a, a particular Catholic deserved to be canonized. And those uh, measures were strictly applied by the pre-conciliar church. But in the liberal church, hey, anything goes. <laughs> and so they've, they've, 
they've cut cut out the need from they've cut down the need to one miracle and so on and so on and so on i mean it's it's not the same therefore canonizations before the council you might say were infallible but after the council certainly not mm -hmm. as bishop schneider suggests what's going on is that the canonizations are being used in order to bless vatican ii and to pretend that vatican ii is in line with all of the saints of the previous centuries it isn't at all it's incredible well, that such a revolution was possible but the vile media support it the vile politicians support it uh, the, and so on and so on and so on the vile universities the vile all of these previous institutions of truth are now shell games of truth mm -hmm. somebody has got hold of them somebody has infiltrated them actually we know who they are sure but we dare not say oh because they have such power and the awkward people wkw awkward the we know who wkw the we know who people have infiltrated all these organizations of, yesterday of truth because the catholics are so weak and wishy-washy ever since vatican ii the catholics didn't want the cross they got rid of the religion of the cross and they got they, they brought in the religion of woke <laughs> How would you respond, though, Your Excellency, just to press um, uh, very gently here uh, to the objection that says, okay, what it sounds like what you've said is that the, the, the infallibility of preconciliar canonizations rests not in the authority of the Pope, but in the process. I know you're not saying that, and I know you don't believe that, but a set of a contest who's listening right now is going to pounce and say, you know, see, you guys are disbelieving the 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 authority of these post-conciliar popes by doubting their um, their their decrees, such as these these canonizations. What? How can we? How can we defend ourselves? Well, again, it's 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 a question of truth. Um, these. These new saints, as we can call them, just the new saints of the new church, have not behaved in line with tradition. They behaved in line with the subversion of tradition. Now, is tradition that was Catholic tradition before the Council the truth? That is, the same things are still true today. Now, in other words, preconciliar truth is still true. Uh, and the canonizations before the Council were in line with that truth. Then, after the Vatican II, Preconciliar truth is no longer truth. It's out of date. It's no use. We want to get rid of it. And so they got rid of it in the process of canonizations. And the process of canonizations no longer give a guarantee that this candidate for canonization was in line with Catholic tradition. And so you've not got the same truth. You've got a new truth. The new church has got a new truth, which is not true. It's an error. It's an illusion. It's a fantasy. It's war on God. What do you think of the canonization of John Paul II? I think it's 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 gravely in error. I think it may be may be slightly more justified than the canonization, let's say, of Paul VI, but not much better, because he was a, a dissolver of the truth. He went around the whole world embracing everybody of all kinds of different religions 
and strongly suggesting by his action as well as by his words that you can be people are saved in all all, all religions, including false religions. The, the truth is that they, they may be saved in false religions by the mercy and grace by the mercy of God and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, but they cannot possibly be saved by these religions. Mm. Uh, Your Excellency, I'd like to now kind of move into the more speculative uh, topics of the show, which I'm just kind of part three, the future. The first topic I want to bring to your attention is the, um, you know, supposedly clandestine and illicit ordination of Dom Alcuin Reed. Um, This was a very common practice, you know, during Soviet times. In fact, uh, John Paul II himself, when he was a cardinal archbishop, engaged in clandestine and illicit ordinations plenty of times. Um, since the entire world, though, including the church, now labors under the yoke of communism, will this be the new normal going forward? And are there enough bishops in the world willing to keep the sacraments available to the lay people? Well, Almighty God is looking after his church, and he knows exactly what he's doing. So I don't think you need to be afraid that um, there are not going to be enough bishops to look after the remnant, let's just say, the remnant of Catholic souls. I think Almighty God will look after that. So I wouldn't worry on that count. Um, But when you say clandestine and illicit, uh, again, illicit by what standard? Mm -hmm. Illicit by the disobedience to the Roman, these present Roman authorities. I'm afraid that's not a, a criterion of illicitness. These Roman authorities enforcing the new religion, like with traditionalist custodians, are using their authority to confirm and build with lies. It won't work. And it's not the truth. The truth comes in front of obedience. If obedience is obedience to lies, it's false obedience. Obedience is a secondary virtue. The truth is a, a primary a primary virtue, you could say. It's a way of saying things. But the the the, the faithfulness of souls to truth comes in front of their faithfulness to human authorities. If these human authorities are acting on behalf of God and in line with God, then they deserve our full obedience, and we will be the I hope the first to obey them. But when they're li- acting out of line with God and out of line with the truth, they can't be obeyed. The clandestine ordinations and consecrations were necessary under communism. And they were, Ill- they were illicit if they were in accordance with the truth. Mm-hmm. And actually, the true authority in Rome, at least up till the death of Pius XII, supported and backed these clandestine ordinations and consecrations because it was the only way for the truth to survive in under communist rule, under savage Stalinist communist rule. Yeah. Now, as you say, the whole world is going communist. Are we going to need clandestine bishops everywhere? Maybe, yes. But if they are bishops in the truth, serving the truth, uh, knowing the truth, believing in the truth, then those bishops will be good men, whether or not they obey these Romans, these poisonous tragic romans sitting in the sitting on the chair of moses 
occupying the posts of authority and completely misusing their authority in order to impose the new church, which is false. Uh, along this uh, same topic, you know, I'm, I'm aware, for example, of a group of uh, consecrated religious, they're Augustinians, they've, they were asked to leave um, the, their order because they were too traditional. And against all odds, they've managed to carry on, continue uh, living the consecrated and Augustinian life. Um, but what, you know, at the same time, what advice would you give to folks like these, especially to the, you know, to the to the brothers, to the monks who may have vocations to the priesthood, who, who probably cannot get ordained by either their local ordinary or or really any, you know, Novus Ordo ordinary in the United States, uh, you know, then, there are a thousand stories like this. Do they all reach out to you? I mean, what do they do? Well, <laughs> let's see. I have a colleague in the United States, Bishop Sendekas, to whom they might reach out, not necessarily to myself. Um, Bishop Sendekas is his own man. Uh, there's no structure that puts Bishop Sendekas under me. I may be an older man, as I certainly am, older than he, and I may have more experience of, 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 of um, the resistance, maybe, than he has. But he is his own man, and uh, if they get in contact with him, he lives on the border between Connecticut and New York, upstate New York. Uh, in South, South Salem, you will find, they will find him. <coughs> Yes, uh, and then, then you have to pray the rosary and pray the mother of God to keep you in the truth. Because if we haven't got the authority, to, the true authority to guide us, what is going to guide us? And, the, 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 and these Augustinians that you mentioned, they've got to agonize over the question, who from now on is going to keep us on the right track for heaven? Mm -hmm. And they've got to say, this is God's church. God is looking after those who want him. Um, the authority of God, the, the authority that is authority in God's church is a misused authority, which means that it's, it's no longer a proper authority since it's misused. It may be proper in its sources, but it's no longer proper in its use. And therefore they disqualify themselves. They refuse to ordain our priests who want to serve God in accordance with truth, in accordance with the true faith, the true sacraments. Um, then they disqualify themselves as far as we're concerned. We must look for a bishop who on his track record and by his own beliefs is willing to ordain our men mm -hmm. on the risk that he may lose the right track, that these priests he's ordaining may lose the right track, but the intention of all of us is to serve God truly and really in the real faith, those are, the men, those are the men we need. The people need sacraments. We need priests. We need true priests. We need priests of whom we can be sure that the ordination is valid and not dubious, as it is to some extent with the new right of ordination, especially more so with the new right of consecration of bishops. There are, there's a shadow of doubt in each case, stronger with the bishops than with the priests, but the shadow of doubt. And we don't want that shadow of doubt. We want certainly valid ordination. We realize the risk that we're taking. We're embarking on a raft, on a, an ocean which is enraged, 
um, we've no longer got the attachments that we had or, sh or should have to the bark of Peter, to the ship of Peter. We're no longer attached as we should be, but that's not by our fault. It's by the fault of the churchmen inside the bark of Peter, the lawful churchmen misusing their lawful sta standing and status. We've got to go with some alternative. You will find that not all the candidates in question will accept to go with that alternative. Completely yeah. understood. You're taking a risk on that raft. You're much more exposed to wind and wave than you are than you used to be in the bark of Peter. But look, the bark of Peter today is sinking because of the man at the rudder. He's steering into. He's steering. He's steering not to face the waves with the bows, but he's steering to face with the side of the ship, which is asking for trouble. He's, sa he's, he's sailing against the laws of navigation, which again are objective. You yeah. sail side onto the waves and you're going to be in trouble. You sail straight into, you know, and so on and so on and so on. Navigation is as real as flying is real, as uh, e eating is real. All these realities have their own laws. And the, but but when it when it comes to going to heaven, our our Lord doesn't want us to do it by laws. He wants to do it by our free will, and therefore we're free to go to hell instead of going to heaven. But what He wants is to for us to obey His laws so that we can go to His heaven. That's what He wants. But He leaves us free. He doesn't want robots in His heaven. Yeah. Um. Next topic. Uh... Father Pagliarani, um, the superior uh, acting right now of the yep. SPX, yep. had a um, had an impromptu, we're told, meeting with um, with Pope Francis. That it was just an unplanned social call, is what they say it was. As if Francis's schedule isn't, you know, meticulously yep. managed to the minute, and anyone can just drop in and see him. Of course, if that's the case, then Cardinal Zen wouldn't be sleeping in the streets waiting to, uh, for his meeting with Francis. But um, what do you think the real nature of that meeting was? Do you think that it had anything to do with the idea that the SSPX will soon be consecrating a new round of bishops? I think that Father Pagliarani probably hoped that they would discuss the question of bishops and that ideally Pope Bergoglio would grant some bishops to the SSPX, which, which gravely needs them for its worldwide flock. Uh, Bishop Tissier is not very health in, good, in very good health. Uh, Bishop de Gallerate and Bishop Foley are left, the only two, they're younger, and they're the only two left because they threw out the fourth bishop. Uh, and he's been out, on, out in the cold ever since, quivering <laughs> and frightened and, 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 and sorrowful and suffering. I, I hope all your watchers believe that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, uh, well, point well taken. But I, I would, I dish out plenty of dogma. There should be plenty of dollars somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, don't let your your watchers believe me. Don't let them be worried about whether I've got any dollars or not. I've got stacks of currency upstairs in in, in euros and Swiss francs. Which are soon going to be just simply paper. They're going to be worthless. 
but that's I was going to say, I, I, I would hate to say, tomorrow. I would hate to send you dollars at this point. We've got to send you, you know, silver coins or something, you know. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, I understand. I do understand. Yes. So anyway, where was I? I forgot. I've gone off, completely gone off track. That was, uh, the, the social that's what does to you. Yes, with, right. with Father Pagliarani and, and oh, yes. whether or not, you know, we're, it's to be believed that, that, that the two men just know each other and we're sharing some tea and not well, really Pope Bergoglio is a master politician, and he's been leading the, 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 this SSPX, the, the naive leadership of the SSPX. He's been leading up the garden path. Bishop Foley will solemnly say, oh, Pope Bergoglio loves us. He really loves us. He cares for us. And so I don't know if Father Balirani really believes that. But in any case, he, he went along to see the Pope that loves us in the hope the Pope would give us, since he loves us, some bishops. Well, it's not exactly, uh, apparently, I don't know what went on at that meeting, but apparently Father Schmidberger publicly announced that the question of bishops never came up. Okay, believe that if you wish. I find it a little difficult to believe, but that's what Father Schmidberger says. Undoubtedly trying to answer, uh, Father Schmidberger is, is a former uh, superior general of the society. Uh, he, he was Secretary General after Archbishop III, before um, Bishop Foley. Um, uh, he said that the question of bishops didn't come up. I find that difficult to believe. On the other hand, what's certain is that Pope Bergoglio, despite all his professions of love for the society, we've seen his actions. Right. You believe a man's actions rather than his words. He says he loves the society. But he hates Catholic tradition. Just look at traditionis custodes and so on. Um, therefore, it's very difficult to believe that Pope Begali will ever officially grant bishops to tradition. He will, in, on the, on the, what he will do is he will kid the, the, the society along. If the society is willing to be kidded along, it needs bishops. It has a right. Insofar as it's still serving the truth, it has a right to bishops, because there's a lot of good priests still in the society, and they've got a, they've got they're looking after a lot of good souls. But it can't go on forever without bishops. That's what Archbishop Lefebvre saw, and the greatness, the unbelievable greatness of unbelievable. It was true. The the greatness of Archbishop Lefebvre was he saw the authority being as misused as it is. I can no longer respect it. And if it says it will not give me bishops, then I will have to, I have to take them for myself. And that's what he did. And that's what gave, in 1988, that's what gave the society another 20 years of useful existence, of really useful existence. Soon after that, the society gave way. And it began going along the primrose path of the dreamers of Vatican II. Yeah. And they're now dreaming that the head and chief executioner of Vatican II, Pope Bergoglio, is going to give them bishops. No way. No way. He may love you. He says he does. Okay. Then please, Holy Father, show that you love us by giving us the bishops that we need to look after our Catholic souls. Please. And he won't do it. He'll have, like in 1988, he will try to play whoever it is in the SSPX, he will try to play them along just as he tried to put, just as Rome tried then to play Archbishop Fever along. And on the night of May the 5th to May the 6th um, in 1988, 
the archbishop was on the eve of of, um, of the question. It was it was the dialogue with Cardinal Ratzinger, and the question hung on bishops, and Cardinal Ratzinger was playing him along like a fish on a line. Yeah, and the uh, but during the night of the fifth of the sixth. Archbishop, Archbishop realized that he was being played for a sucker and he said, that's it. From now on, the, 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 there's no more negotiating with these Romans. They are out of doctrine. They are out of the right line of doctrine. They are not doctrinal. They are not obeying the great papal documents of truth of the past. They are defying those documents, the encyclicals of uh, Pius IX, Pius X, and so on. Um, and we, when Rome comes back to those encyclicals, that's when we will sit down and talk to them again. And from then on, he said, it's no longer diplomacy, it's doctrine. From now on, it's doctrine. And as long as these Romans cannot come back to the true doctrine, we are not talking to them. I'm absolutely ready to talk as soon as they come back to doctrine, but not until. Mm -hmm. And that's what the, the society now should be saying to Pope Bogolu. Holy Father, here is the opportunity to grant to us, for the in the name of the truth, in the name of the holy tradition of the Catholic Church, to grant us the bishops we need. If you won't do it, we will do it for ourselves, as we must do, as Archbishop Lefebvre did. But I don't think that the leadership, the present leadership of the society, is capable of taking that stand. They have too much, st still too much respect for authority. They're respecting false authority, and by that they are disserving the truth. Uh, this is a, another speculative question, but if asked, uh, which you probably won't be asked, but would you participate in um, consecrations of, for the society if they had to take that path of of, um, of creating another generation of bishops to continue if, on? If, if the present heads of the society asked me to take part in a consecration and it was clear that they were henceforth on the right track, and no longer on the wrong track of trying to get decent bishops out of Pope Bergoglio, if it was clear to me that their mind was clear and made up and that they were going to come back to once and for all to the line of Archbishop Lefebvre, I would help them. I would do what I could to help them. Just okay. as if the mainstream church asked me, will you now help us to, uh, etc.? And I was convinced that the Pope, was back on track, that he was got over his dreaming, over his nonsense, over his modernism, that he was a, a man like Archbishop Vigano, a man who would hum, humbly admitting his errors and confessing that he'd be misled, that he was had, admitting he was had. If I was sure that Rome was in that frame of mind and the Romans around the Pope and that they would not rat the following week or the following month or the following year, if I was persuaded that their minds were at last clear and their minds were at last Catholic, their minds and their hearts were at last Catholic, I would even do what they asked me to do. Yes. Um, I have two more questions for you or two more topics. I, I cannot help but play this clip from last week. And again, my thanks to Friends of Aquinas for having this interview with you and with uh, Dr. Jones. I never thought I would live to see the day where E. Michael Jones would say to you, Your Excellency Bishop Williamson, that you must feel vindicated. Here's that moment. They accused <laughs> Ratzinger after he resigned, the resignation they brought about after he resigned, they accused him of Fahnenflucht. Fahnenflucht. Yeah. 
desertion. Desertion. Desertion under fire. I think they were right. I think they were right because at the beginning of his papacy, he told Zavon, or Zavon quotes in his book, but he said, pray that when the wolves come that I don't flee. Well, he fled in an unprecedented fashion. Okay. He yes. fled and, and that led directly to the papacy of Francis, which I think everyone concedes is a complete train wreck. You must be, uh, <laughs> how can I say this? <laughs> do you feel vindicated? I mean, do you, I, C.D. Jackson once said that uh, Stalin was the greatest salesman the United States of America had. So I'm going to say Pope Francis is the greatest salesman the SSPX ever had. <laughs> well, I don't know if you're up to date on this one, Michael, but the SSPX is also guilty of fan and flu. Okay, that's a moment for the history books. I, I don't. I, I can't. I can't replay it enough. Um, what did you mean? First of all, what did you think when when Dr. E. Michael Jones, who's you know, you guys have have ruffled each other's feathers, I'm sure, over the decades, is now saying you must feel vindicated, and then said, and then the follow up is, you know, what did you mean by by your 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 second comment there? Oh boy. Well, first, firstly, um, look. If I have been faithful to the truth, if, if I've been faithful to the truth, that's not me, that's God. Okay, the, so it's not me that's vindicated, it's Almighty God that's vindicated. That's, that's my first reaction. Um, again, dear, dear E. Michael Jones, uh, it's thinking too, on, a, on a too human a level. He's thinking it's a question of human personalities and human people. And so he's, he's, but it's, the question is much bigger than human beings. And therefore, there's, it's, it's not a question of my being vindicated or my not being vindicated. I, if I have been faithful to the truth, it's the truth that matters, not me. So the, my vindication or notification, that's unimportant. Um, but second, secondly, what was your second question again? Well, the second question was what, you know, what did you mean specifically? And I know we've touched on this, but if you want to put a finer point on it, when you, sure. and when you said that in, in your view, the SSPX has abandoned, uh, the, the faithful under, committed under fleeing yeah. from the stand, fleeing from the battle flag. Um, you know, there's running away under fire as, as e. Michael Jones said. Um, well, what I mean is that it's, uh, it used to be strong under Archbishop Lefebvre that society was the spearhead of the defense of, of the true faith. It was serving the whole church by standing up to the villains in Rome. You can call them villains, you can call them traitors, you can call them modernists, call them what you like, but they're not being faithful to the truth. They're not faithful to tradition of the church. And Pope Bergoglio can say, give it another 40 years and we'll, and we'll get there. No, you won't, Holy Father. You will not. It's impossible. It's intrinsically impossible. Just as it's impossible for ice not to melt in sunshine, it's impossible for the true church to be reconciled with the godless modern world. There is no reconciliation possible. Period. Um, so, you know, uh, Ratzinger... That, that Ratzinger, again, that I was vindicated or not, that Ratzinger committed, uh, ran, ran away from the battle flag or not, these are entirely secondary human considerations. Uh, 
which which are not the point, so to speak. Yeah. And um, we've got to the, the the we poor human beings are are the the most that we can be, the best that we can be when we are serving to the best of our feeble abilities the one great true God, and that's what matters. And that's what the Catholic churchmen have lost. And that's why Pope Bergoglio, in, on behalf of the false religion, is saying, I love you, I love you, I love you, I'll give you bishops tomorrow or the day after. And the society is saying, yes, Holy Father, yes, Holy Father, today or tom tomorrow or the week after or the month after or the year after or in the 22nd century, yes, Holy Father, that won't do. Yeah. For defense of the truth and looking after the sheep, that simply won't do. Mm -hmm. Final. I think I've answered your question. If yeah, I you have. Your, question, <laughs> you I have. have, Your Excellency. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Um, final topic, and uh, I think this is a great one to end on: the idea of Christ the King. As um, as the global homo communist revolutionaries advance, there does seem to be some reaction to that the counter-revolution it takes many forms some people are monarchists some are corporatists secessionists balkanizers even fascists but they're all essentially similar insofar as they seek a return to a prior order of things a former way of life in some cases hopefully a reenthronement of christ the king your excellency i don't know if a habsburg or a bourbon or even a Napoleon or a Franco are going to soon emerge, but um, let alone a Pius X. But there can be no doubt that Christ the King will be re-enthroned. My yep. final question to you is, what parting advice can you give to the counter-revolutionaries, the true reactionaries, separated as we all are by geography, by language, by culture, but united in our goal of re-establishing the social kingship of Christ? Hey, Pray the rosary. That's my advice to absolutely everybody, from king to beggar, from beggar to king. Pray the rosary. Pray at best. Pray 15 mysteries every day. That is a, a tremendous strength. It comes from Our Lady, or that strength comes through Our Lady, and that's a universal, universal advice. King or beggar, beggar or king, 15 mysteries a day. And that will create the true counter-revolution. And if somebody in one of these good organizations, even as you say, a fascist, oh, oh that's almost as bad as being a, 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 an anti-Semite. Oh. <laughs> Excuse me. I'm laughing <laughs> off camera. I have to have a bit of fun. Okay, so, you know... Um, uh, that th this fight is really about no less than Almighty God. It's a it's a war for and against God. And all of these rationalists, all of these nationalists, all of these good guys, in whatever guise, as you say, as you rightly say, Sadie Vax, ra radical liber radical libs, liberals, whatever they are, if they're of goodwill, let them pray Our Lady's Rosary, and she will guide them. And she's capable of guiding to the unity that they need and not to a unity they don't need, to the unity they need. She will guide everybody according to their circumstances. How she does it, I don't know, but she has a, the power of Almighty God behind her to help her. 
and she she listens to all the world all the time. I don't know how she does it, but <laughs> she's got some supercomputer up there in heaven. I don't know. Obviously, I don't know. But the point is that it, she is the general. She is the the best general of the army of the good guys. There is an army of good guys. I agree with you. But they're in we are all of us in danger. The world is very slippery and very dangerous at this moment. Modernism is very slippery. It's easy to fall into it, and it's difficult to get out of it. It's very contagious. It's it's very seductive. It's very appealing to go along, to go with the flow, instead of having to go against the flow all the time. But the strength of the good guys is almighty God. That's what they've got to realize, that this is a war against God, and that it's religious first and foremost. It's not politics. It's much more than just politics. It comes out in politics. The good guys come out one way in politics and the bad guys come out another way. But uh, it's, not, it's much more than politics. And it's, it's for and against Almighty God because the real battle is for God trying to save souls and bring them to heaven and the devil trying to corrupt souls and bring them to hell. That's, where, that's the bottom line. Devil, the devil or God. And that's what's going on today. That's the... That's the heart and soul of what's going on today all over the world. And the, the good guys have got to admit it's not only politics, it's religion. And I have got to pick up on God's true religion. I don't know which it is, but uh, this lunatic is telling me I've got to pray the rosary to find it out. Okay, I will listen to it for, for three moments. I will pray for three days, 50 mysteries a day. I don't believe in it. I don't understand it, but I will do it. And I'll bet you that he runs into something unexpected. Mm. I'll bet you he runs into something more that he didn't think of. So he realized that there's something more to this than he thought. Okay, so this is a lunatic inviting the worst lunatic listening and watching to your program to pray for three days on end, once for every, each of three days, 50 minutes of the rosary, and see if he doesn't realize there's something more to this than he thought. And then let him follow up on what he's been shown. Fair enough. I'll take that deal, Your Excellency. And um, I want to thank you so much. You've you've done this channel such a great honor uh, with your presence. And on behalf of my entire audience, I, I just want to thank you for your conspicuous display of heroism as well as uh, as well as clarity. We the good comes from God. The rest comes from us. <laughs> Amen. I forgot to tell you, there's there's going to be a 90-second uh, teaser at the end. If you want to stay on and talk privately afterwards, you can. If you don't want to suffer through the shameless marketing, then uh, you're, you're welcome to log off, Your Excellency. But uh, it's been a pleasure having you, and um, thank you for watching. Okay.